0: This is Academes, a podcast about women in academia, living the dream, or are we?
1: I am very excited to be talking with you today um, about the Shadow CV. Yes. This is another um, journal club that comes to us from a listener named Erica. Hi, and Erica. She wrote, yes. Erica, thank you for emailing. We love getting your emails, everybody. hmm she emailed us and said, Dear Whitney and Sarah, I'm preparing my tenure dossier, and as I do so, I keep coming back to this idea of the shadow CV of my personal life that doesn't show up on my actual CV, but has, influence- has influenced it in profound ways. I wonder if this idea of the shadow CV could make an interesting episode. Yes, I think it will. Um, how do people deal with this? How much of the invisible do you make visible? And what informs that decision? So she talks about um, some issues she's had around um, um, fertility Mm. with miscarriages and IVF um, and um, kind of the stress she was experiencing Mm -hmm. um, amidst all of that and submitting a large federal grant. Um, And she says toward the end of talking about this um part of me wants them um like tenure reviewers yeah. um to think of me as a, as a successful academic with no asterisk no pity how have others navigated this and she says this in light of the idea that she she kind of there's a part of her that wants people to know that she did all of this amazing academic work amidst all of this personal ter- um turmoil it is so she said yeah. Um, it struck me that everyone has a shadow CV that has both acute and chronic events. The implicit and explicit ra- racism of the academy for people of color comes to mind. Others have chronic illnesses that they might not want their colleagues to know about. Deaths in the family, divorces, children with special needs. Are there some elements of the shadow CV that feel more or less socially acceptable to make visible? As a mentor, do you tell your mentees about your private struggles Um, to reassure them that it's okay to be both a human being and an academic? How much do you tell your own mentors at your
0: institution and elsewhere? There's a lot of good stuff in there. And I think this is also related to the idea of like the CV of failure, I think, which is a thing that I've seen going around where people are like, you know, I talk about all the papers that were published and, you know, my accomplishments, but there's also all these things that failed. And I think this idea of the shadow CV is like, including that, but even more, because you get into Mm -hmm. all your personal stuff, um, kind of institutional things, um, and a lot of the things that she said, things about kind of racism in your job and just stresses. Um, So I like the idea. You know, I'm all about, like, the holistic, who am I as, like, a person, (laughs) personal development stuff. Um, But it also made me think about there are some initiatives, like at the NIH and maybe some other federal funding agencies where you can put in your bio sketch or description of yourself about like taking leave. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people struggle, especially women, mm-hmm. about whether to say I took leave for pregnancies or care of other family members, because some people think that could just get used against you almost, even though it's supposed to help you. So that's a yes. very grounded example of whether you bring in things outside the typical format or not.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, already what you're saying resonates with me because I struggled with this about whether or not to acknowledge that I worked half time. And Mm, one of my mentors, for example, said like in my personal statement and my bio sketch, and I wanted to put it in there. And he was like, no, you've been productive enough. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like it would be a distraction. And that brought to mind for me on the one hand it is um a quote unquote handicap so like hey guys be careful like, it's almost like early stage investigator mm-hmm. status like don't don't um penalize this person for xyz because yeah. of these issues on the other hand it was kind of a point of pride for me or not even pride but like um i don't know i just feel like i want people to know and i want people to see um, me as human yeah. <laughs> and also that this is something that people have done before
0: and look, look at all that I did. It makes me think about the different audiences that we are writing these materials for because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll make a CV that's for your tenure committee. It's a very specific audience and there might be others that you have as just a form of documentation to show everybody and yourself all that you've done. But it makes mm-hmm. me think maybe it would be good to even have some that were intended for students or mm. as like mm. a mentoring tool or for friends to show people what it's really like because I think often people are like what is it really like what was your path really and maybe that doesn't all need to go into the CVU prep for your tenure packet but it is interesting to think about creating a CV that's more expansive for an audience that might be you know, students or colleagues or used in different ways?
1: I like that idea of the different audiences so much that I'm writing it down. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that's, I mean... We'll ta- we'll dig in later about kind of, okay, so what? what about the C- the shadow CV? Is it just like a fantasy mm-hmm. um, or is there something actionable that can be done with it? Yeah, so
0: so I we'll mean, the closest thing to the actual CV is just this idea of professional failures. And so there is this thing called the like CV of failures or something. And maybe we can look up that and put up a link like okay. unpublished manuscripts grants that weren't funded ideas that never took hold collaborations that fizzled out and i think yes. we all have those and i think there's
1: a lot actually to be learned from them because mm-hmm. you know seeing this written down the kind of professional quote unquote failures the manuscripts that don't end up published or whatever i actually think i could go back and now years later um draw out some really important lessons from those and and not only not like I think I could pull out themes and be like here's a good here's a reason why it's probably good this didn't get published Mm -hmm. or you know this is this happened because of the same reason that this other one happened and I can learn from that yeah
0: I definitely have things that I'm glad didn't get published. One paper in particular, I think about where the idea wasn't that well-developed. I was playing with some new ideas and that was fun, but it wasn't really ready and representative of, you know, what I think is true. And then mm-hmm. I have other things where I can draw a straight line from that work to the work I'm doing now, or it did nurture a collaboration um, that ended up being important later. So, yeah. So
1: I can I can come up with a couple of ideas One of which, you know, has just had so many permutations over literally, I know, I know exactly how old this idea is Mm -hmm. because I was writing it when I was pregnant with Henry and he's eight now. So it's like almost a decade old, Mm -hmm. but it's the original paper never got published, but it's kind of morphed into something that I think is really compelling. Um, And there's a similar paper that I can think of that's kind of in that same vein, only it it never got published and it never will. And that's totally fine. But I wonder if you've experienced something where it's like, you actually did think it was good, but you just couldn't get it published or... Or maybe a grant idea that you just kind of let I mean, go I, or whatever. I
0: have a grant that wasn't discussed. My first R01 uh, proposal. And the reviews were actually kind. I hate reading reviews. But they were <laughs> constructive. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were very clear about why it wasn't going to get discussed. So that was actually nice. I'm like, this is just not going to get funded. <laughs> you know? Even though I Ever? like the idea... Not, not in that mechanism, not at the NIH level, because they just weren't that into it. They're like, it's mm. fine, and like you could do it, and it might be interesting knowledge, but to what end? And you know, okay. I see their point, um, but it did help me think about, okay, well, what in this idea do I want to salvage? And there was a piece that was the piece I was actually really excited about. Once I was kind of pushed to mm. know that I had to just move on, and that ended up being the genesis of the next idea, and so. Mm. I mean, it would have been nice to get there without having to go through the whole process of writing another grant and having it not discussed. But maybe I needed to kind of just work out some ideas and get that feedback and that definitive no in order to be able to pivot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've had papers that I've dropped. I've had papers that I'm like, this just isn't going to go anywhere. And sometimes it was just, I was moving in a new direction and nobody was super tied to it. It wasn't funded and it was kind of languishing and I was feeling icky about it. And I just would prefer to just cut it off versus to have it linger and drive me nuts and make me feel anxious.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think... Something that is underlying all that we're talking about right now, it, and and maybe I'm I'm able to access this pretty easily because I had a large federal grant not discussed re- very recently, mm-hmm. and
0: and not discussed for the people who are not like in our NIH yeah. world. It's kind of like a triage thing where all the grants get scored by two or three people and the bottom half of them with the bottom half of scores just don't move further in the process. And so you just get back. (laughs) This was not discussed. We didn't even want to waste time with people in a room talking about this. It's painful.
1: Yeah, it's super painful. And I mean, I've definitely had a lot of people help me think about it because my instinct was to be like, I'm like at the bottom of the barrel. Like, I'm not even, it's not that they disgust me and like I'm in just not in a fundable range. It's like they, Literally thought my work was so bad it wasn't even worth <laughs> I discussing. I do not think and this I've, is the correct interpretation. but fine. Okay, no, I know. Yes, no, it's apparently not. And it's been really, it's been really great to talk to um, different, more senior people about what the correct interpretation is of that. Which actually, it's not just like sugarcoating it or you know reframing. It. That is literally not the right interpretation. So, however, I think underlying a lot of what we're talking about is for me personally, a lot of pain. Mm. Like there's a lot of self-doubt that comes into all of this. Like I can think that one of the papers that I I was talking about just a moment ago, I literally had one of my mentors say to me, it's really hard for me to tell you this, but I feel like I need to tell you to drop this paper. Mm. Do not write this paper. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, it was painful. It was painful to hear that.
0: And what was um, the reason? Just was it about the idea or the politics of it or what?
1: I mean, I think well, I don't think he did tell me, he's like, You've got so many more important things to be yes. doing with your time. Yeah. Like it this is not it's not like you don't have anything else to work on. Yes. Don't spend your time on this paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to go anywhere. And it didn't. Yeah.
0: Um And so that and, actually is something that could be reframed. Some of the failures are actually just um prioritizing reprioritizing saying that we we just can't do everything and sometimes you say I'm going to direct my energy in this direction and not in this direction but every no can feel painful but Mm -hmm. underlying a lot of no's could be a yes to something else in the most positive reframe
1: that's a really nice way to look at it every no can be a yes to something else I mean I I think for me, and I would imagine for you too, and probably for anybody who's an academic, you get to a place where your work is, it's really hard for me not to take it personally and not to kind of have some of my ego in it um, because this is my kind of mental, my intellectual contribution. Mm-hmm. And um it feels really important and it feels like a personal affront to have yeah. somebody be like, no, this is not, we don't want this. And I think it's different with different products. Like I've heard people say, and I think it's probably true for the most part, like there's a journal for every paper. Yes. <laughs> I, um, There is not funding for every grant.
0: That's true. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked I've, about kind of different classifications. Sometimes there's something that some other external body, whether it's a journal or an editor or whatever, rejects your work. There's sometimes mm-hmm. us deciding that we're going to drop something, which even though we have agency, could still feel painful. There's also things that are totally outside of one's control, like sometimes funding. Sometimes there'll be a Mm -hmm. political change. And let's say there's been a lot of federal funding for bioterrorism or climate change or some environmental thing. And then there's a change in the government administration. And all of a sudden, that funding disappears. Mm -hmm. And so that's Mm -hmm. something that is totally outside one's control, but can really shape a career, and I think mm-hmm. being in this job long enough and relying on federal funding, you see kind of the ebbs and flows of things that get more money, and then the money is sucked away. Um, I mean, my husband does some work in climate change, and that's really being mm. systematically like starved, and so it's really hard. <sighs>
1: um, yeah that that is hard, and I so this is making me think there are kind of like two classes of professional kind of shadow C V entries. One is this stuff where you're like it's very external and it feels like you don't have any control. Like, I mean, aside from voting or, you know, yeah. whatever. Um like funding for climate change research mm-hmm. being sucked dry. Um versus the we don't like your idea. Um but sometimes those like are you. very tangled
0: up, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So yes. And And. I don't know if this is the direction that you're going, but um, there's also the kind of ebb and flow of interest in a particular topic. Yeah. Like I do implementation research, right. which right now, lucky for me, is super duper hot. Yep. Um, and I would like to think that I would still be interested in it if it weren't really pretty fundable and publishable right now. But um, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't, maybe yeah. I would have gone in a different direction.
0: Yeah. And so sometimes like the, what's a failure is really just about things that are outside of your control but it feels personal because it feels mm-hmm. like you should be able to get it funded and it feels like it's personal when your idea isn't hot. And so sometimes it can be hard to separate out the quality of one's work for what people are interested in and what's there's money for.
1: Yeah, and I I think that there are some people who are really gifted in being able to convey the importance of their work to the point of shifting people's ideas about what is important. And so not to be able to do that does feel like a personal failure in some sense. Like I was not able to convince those reviewers that this is something that they
0: need to support. Another Um, one that we haven't talked about um, is just not getting jobs, like applying for jobs (laughs) and not getting them and also Mm -hmm. not getting tenure. And so I think This falls there because a lot of times you will try to hide that on your CV. You're not going to put like didn't get tenure or had a bad tenure vote on your CV because of how you want to represent. But that could be a huge part of one story or submitted 75 applications and didn't Mm -hmm. get any interviews. It's something that you're probably not going to put on your CV, but is a huge part of one story.
1: Yeah. um, How would one? I mean, I don't nobody. Does anybody put on their CV like not positive tenure vote how do you think so i think they just put
0: the years they work somewhere and then the years they worked at the Um, next place
1: that makes sense well i mean i have not gotten a job offer before and like full on did the like 12 hour interview deal and then was told that they weren't moving forward with (laughs) i am gonna say it i'm gonna go ahead and say it because I feel like it's important for people to hear and hopefully people listening will have some empathy for me and not think that whoever said this was wrong. I mean, right. So I went through that whole 12 hour interview thing. Um, and somebody, and I, I got a call from the recruiter, not the person who was like, you know, my main point of contact at this organization. Um, And they just said, we're not moving forward with your application. And I... Maybe this shows how like cocky I am, but I was like, "What? <laughs> They're not moving forward." I'm like, <laughs> what? And I, I, think, I think what piqued my interest. Maybe it wasn't me being cocky. I think it was more that she hadn't reached out and said, like, "Hey, I wanted to let you know, like, we really liked you, but we decided to go with somebody or whatever." It was like the recruiter really famously even, it was, like, people the like
0: never hear back about jobs. So even the fact that the recruiter got Ugh. back to you is good. Yuck. I, that's not nice. That's,
1: you're dealing with people's emotions and lives that here. That could be on
0: people's CV, like waited 12 months just to hear that I wasn't being considered for a job. That's or on a lot of people's waited, CVs. like
1: 12 months for a, like a rejection from a journal. Oh yes. my God, how painful is that? Yeah. I hear about that sort of thing happening
0: all the time. And it just. should be illegal. It does. <laughs> wear you out Uh, one other thing that's kind of related is also um, the deaths of mentors or the departure Mm. of mentors or mentors leaving um, which is something that sometimes people might put on their CV in some way like talking about kind of a change in mentorship when Mm. they're dissertating but you know I've had that Mm -hmm. happen where somebody who was um, going to be a mentor on my K um, died um, suddenly Mm. and it is very like it's mooring. It's a personal tragedy. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There've been the deaths of a, a couple of people who uh, were professionally and personally important to me. And so when I anchor times in my career, that is something I think about, although it would not be something that's on my CV. But I think those deaths also affect people, even if they weren't directly being mentored by somebody. Um, when I think about timelines and signposts during my career, those things stand out as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and um,
1: I think that relates in some respect to the kind of things at work um, that can be really disruptive or mm-hmm. would kind of fall into the category of being put on a shadow CV. So... Um, you know, there, there has been a lot of churn in the past in my department in terms of the chair. Um, and that is extremely disruptive. Yeah,
0: It can really throw off. I mean, it takes up energy. It sucks up energy with thinking about like, what does this mean for me? And everybody's more on edge and it's hard to go full force with kind of a vision for the department and new big, huge strategic collaborations when you're in limbo. Um, and so how do you, do you, how do you think it like affected you to have these changes in leadership?
1: Well, I mean, I think it, it affected me somewhat uniquely because I'm fixed term faculty. Mm-hmm. And so I am literally at the will. Yeah. My position is literally at the will of the department chair. <laughs> so kind of navigating that relationship and being anxious about whether or not that chair is going to value me Mm -hmm. um, is really anxiety-producing.
0: Yeah. Um, I think this came up in Constance. Lindsay's um, interview as well. She talked about when she was working, um, but then also was an adjunct on the side. And the chair was like, oh, we can get you a position. And then that chair left. And so all of a sudden this promise of like, oh, your adjunct position could turn into a position even though it was probably um, kind of marginal idea, even from him, like really evaporated. And so something that's totally out of your control and leadership can change your job prospects a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, this kind of makes me think about something I, um, as a new soul, think about a lot. I mean, I think I kind of grew up thinking... <laughs> You know, looking around and thinking like all of the grown-ups had everything figured out mm-hmm. and like there there was a the rhyme and reason to the way the world operated. And as I get older, I'm like, wow, so few people have any idea what's going on. Yeah. Um, and it's all just a house of cards. Um, it feels like that in many respects. And when I th- look at the kind of the sausage being made in terms of um academic institutions and decisions and policies, you know, in many cases there are are policies written Mm -hmm. about, you know, whatever um, you know, whatever issue may be that somebody has to deal with. I mean, we hear this a lot about like family leave policies where it's written in one way, but there's lots of room for interpretation and there's lots of potential for um, um, interpretation in a way that can compromise somebody's life their kind of day-to-day life and um it often is just the whim of whoever happens to be in power or whoever's paying attention at that moment or the knowledge of the person kind of whose livelihood is at stake. Um, I've had a couple of cases where I think if I had not been on my toes as much um, in evaluating policies that were put in front of me or contracts or what have you, um, I might've just gone ahead and been like, okay, this is the way it is. Um, not realizing that i I do have some agency. um and you can, you know, move the needle a little bit by asserting that agency. But um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a group of valuable humans deciding how these things work. and that can change at any given moment. <laughs> it's yeah. it's hard to keep up with. it's It takes a lot of. Um, my mental space navigating that, oh, particularly as time moves on. You
0: think it's taking up more of your space as time moves on? Totally. Interesting. We want to hear from you. What do you think of this episode? Tell us about your experience as an acadame. You can reach us on Twitter at Acadames Podcast by email at AcadamesPodcast at gmail dot com, or please leave us a voicemail at nine one nine. Six 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 seven three zero one. And if you like what you hear,
1: read us on your favorite podcast app. It'll help people find us.
0: Another like as far as institutional things that could go on the Shadow CV is just policies about leave. Um so our university system recently has done a major change that's going to start giving leave to staff. Before, I think faculty had leave, but the policy was that staff did not have paid leave or parental or family leave, and so that's changing. And for some people, that is really a like before and after. Um mm-hmm. a dramatic mm-hmm. before and after when they think about caregiving responsibilities and financial stability. And like I know people who've had a baby right before that policy starts. And if they had had their baby like a few months later, they would have had so much less hassle and Mm -hmm. worry and things would have been so much clearer. And so there are going to be people for whom the implementation of this policy is a bright line in their professional career, but it won't go on their CV.
1: Well, and that makes me think, you know, um, there's there's a power in naming something and um, identifying these things. I mean, going, having to think about what I was going to talk about today made me kind of articulate things in my head that I hadn't had to before. Mm. And I think that process was a little empowering in some respects, as depressing as some of it was, but empowering in the sense that um, if I were to write this down or hopefully the people who are listening to us will Identify with some of these things and be like, "Oh, I'm not the only person." And mm-hmm. how wonderful would it be to have some sort of repository where people could be like, "Oh no, this kind of negatively influences however many people." And it's kind of like with any kind of public health problem, right? You and I both study, you know, a, public health, mm-hmm. and kind of the per the first stage of conducting the research is just to describe the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in some sense, a shadow CV could help just describe the problem. Yeah.
0: Or say, oh, <laughs> look at all I overcame. And I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. it's fortifying to look back mm-hmm. and be like, oh, there was all of this stuff happening. And I still moved forward in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. When I often talk to people, like if I'm doing visits about my job and timeline... A lot of times I'll find myself going back to 2010 because that was really a pivotal time for a lot of state universities. So definitely for the North Carolina system and also the University of Wisconsin system. I remember in 2010, I went up there for a visit or something, and there was like a huge strike and protest at the Capitol in Madison Mm -hmm. because um, that was a year in the U.S. politically when there was kind of a, a backlash. Um, And a lot of Republicans took over state legislatures in 2010 and really started cutting a lot of um, education funding and state funding. So there's been a lot of steady cuts to state funding for higher education across the U.S. in the past decade. Um, And like now people can look back on it and like see that downward slope of money that went into state funding, which has a lot of implications for student loan debt and even budget cuts. Like we've lost a lot of staff. And so... I think that's something that I often do think about at the time I was like, huh, like I could tell some things were happening because I could tell like two districts in our city were combined into one district. So we lost a a representative to our state legislature. And, you know, we used to have a lot more um, administrative and secretarial staff. And over the last 10 years, like it's really dwindled down and that has effects. And it's not something I would put on my CV but this past decade has been a decade of really decreasing funding for a lot of um state systems and that has impacts mhm mhm
1: yeah and um i um i think the it, aside from kind of the and maybe this is going a little bit back to the professional issues but um Remaining, um, remaining current um, in terms of um, kind of your ability to place yourself um, in a place, place your research um, or your scholarship in um, a place of relevance relative to what's happening in the world, um, and that. Um, and oftentimes I find myself thinking particularly lately like what is that right like all of us are experts in a very small slice of something and this happens to me whenever whenever I'm writing, writing the significant section of um, a grant proposal I'm thinking like given all of the craziness that's happening right now, does this matter? Would I fund this? Like, is this even important? Existential um,
0: questioning going yes. on Shadow TV?
1: Totally. Like, you know, um, you brought up the issue of, you know, the strikes that were happening um, and all of the political turmoil. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about climate change. These are all things where I'm like, I, this is um these are things that kind of take my attention and i i actually remember having um a conversation with a student about kind of why i do what i do mm-hmm. and um the fact that sometimes it doesn't have to do with the kind of proximal topic that i'm studying it kind of has to do with a much broader goal mm-hmm. of around equity and um kind of It is it is pretty political, to be honest, Um, and that helps me get through what, you know, day to day sometimes feels like drudgery um, in terms of doing the work that I do, knowing that it's probably not going to be funded um, or it's going to be hard to publish. And, you know, it is it going to affect anybody? Um, So that does take up a a lot of energy, mental energy for me. And particularly so when there is something acute happening, happening, like, you know, the um, political upheaval. And, you know, there's been a lot that's happened um, on our campus and around the country in terms of um, Confederate statues Mm -hmm. and protests around that. And um, it's, That, to me, makes that kind of existential question about the relevance of what I'm doing, it creates more tension than there is kind of a baseline.
0: I think a lot of this falls under the heading of kind of invisible labor, like your invisible professional labor, like dealing with the departmental turmoil, Mm -hmm. um, just the extra mental load of it and managing relationships in the midst of trauma and taking on more work when there's staff cuts and dealing with the fact that you're really worried about the staff whose jobs are getting eliminated um when there you know are like Mm -hmm. protests and nazis like marching on your campus like it it takes a lot and it affects you it affects the students um Yeah. And so it's just a lot to manage. So it's like not part of your job that's going to be on your CV, but it's so intricately affecting your ability to do your work.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, the thing that comes to mind for me the most is about students. I feel like I spend a lot of time talking with students about like why we're doing this and like, or you know, what it means, because, you know, when you, I don't, I don't know how, how generalizable this is, but um, there's the kind of superficial, like training somebody to be a good researcher mm-hmm. Um or teaching them a particular content area or whatever, but there's this whole other layer that I feel like takes way more emotional labor, and that, and I'm yeah, I think is far more important. I mean, I'd rather spend my yeah. time kind of helping people understand their reason for doing this, but it it is a lot of emotional labor. That's
0: another big thing. Like we put down how many students we advised and classes we've taught, but mm-hmm. something that doesn't go on the CV is like, oh, this was the semester that I had a student who had a major mental health crisis, or This was the time where I had a class that was full of terrible classroom incivilities and, you know, students writing mean things on the evaluations and just being rude and disruptive or, you know, just really being like making a difficult professional relationships. Like that's something that, again, not going to go on the CV, but can really demarcate a time in a professional career because those things can suck up so much energy and really... I don't know, stick with me. Mhm.
1: And we haven't talked about it um too much yet. Um I think purposefully since we have talked about kind of the personal stuff so much, but it's worth it's worth spending some time on like what would be on our shadow CVs mm-hmm. related to personal stuff.
0: I mean definitely like kids and marriage and you know for a lot of people divorces caring Mm -hmm. for parents and I think as we were going through that I also talk about thought about friendships like Mm -hmm. um like a rupture in a friendship is something that you know wouldn't necessarily even make a lot of typical podcasts about academic life whereas something like a two-body problem would but I feel like Making new friends can be a great thing, mm. but also kind of rupture in friendships can be really traumatic and something that is kind of in the background of your work life and that can really matter.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. And um you know, all relationships, I think require a lot of work. Um and I I do spend I think because I've kind of had this, like, I don't want it to sound more than it is, but like personal transformation of really um, prioritizing personal relationships Mm. and like taking the time to nurture those, even when I have a crap load of stuff on my to-do list that Mm -hmm. will end up on my CV. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I It's a lot. And, you know, I, I am a big believer that relationships inevitably have conflict in them. Um, and you know, like my therapist says rupture and repair, um, and that does cause, I think it contributes to str- stronger relationships, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time and emotional energy, um, thinking about those
0: things and even just spending time with people. In the notes, you talk specifically about the stress and labor of nurturing healthy friendships. Like, is there anything else you wanted to say about that? Cause I think it's a topic that people struggle with, but there's not a lot of guidance out there about and how that plays into the flow mm-hmm. of your work life.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, um, I, I think I've alluded this to this before, but I didn't necessarily have, like, really solid examples growing up of how to juggle the personal and the professional. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of just very focused on, you know, the kind of work-school mm-hmm. thing. And... um It is something that, right, I don't, there's no, maybe, I don't know, I feel like my kids' schools um, have a lot of, like, psychosocial stuff Mm -hmm. that is really lovely. And I don't know whether they have a curriculum on this, but for me, it is a real effort to think about. Now, like, when I think of a friend who I haven't spoken with for a while, I will text them or call them Mm -hmm. or email them or whatever it is, but... You know, I personally, if I'm going through a hard time and I articulate that to a friend, um, somebody I feel close to, I I do expect them to somehow respond to me. I do expect them to reach out to me and drop what they're doing, not completely, not like abandon their families or anything, but I think I expect some amount of kind of emotional expenditure on their part just to make sure I'm okay. Um, and that's something that I spend a lot of time doing with my friends. It's just supporting them and being there and asking how they are and, you know, loving them and laughing with them. And um, honestly, a lot of the time, it's just, it's literally just taking the time, which mm-hmm. is one of my most precious assets. I have so little of it. And it to, if I go to your party. If I pick up the phone, that means something big. Um, and I, I think in this line of work where it's nonstop, um, and it can go on forever and ever, um, it would be for me, somebody who is not taught how to do this and I don't have an intuition about it, it would be much easier on an emotional level, Mm -hmm. um, and a practical level, just to do my work. It does make me. <laughs> does sense? that make me sound like a robot? No, but
0: I bet there's a lot of people out there when they're thinking back, like what would go on my shadow CV. There'd be like, oh, there was this period where I was struggling with depression and totally was isolated from social connection, or there was yeah. this time where I totally threw myself into my work and looked up two years later and realized that I hadn't done anything with my friendships. Like I think for people looking back there probably are periods where some people will say oh this was a period where my social life really blossomed and i made some of my best friends i can trace mm-hmm. back times where you know some friendships started and there's probably also people looking back and listening right now thinking oh that was a time when a lot of my friendships floundered or where i failed to make connections that i tried to make and i was really lonely
1: mhm mhm can you talk a little bit about um your experience about kind of, because you didn't have Lou yet when you and Louie were a long distance, right? Mm-hmm. Like how did that work? How did you, how do you keep yourselves?
0: Yeah. Solid, long distance solid? is like a thing that would go on my shadow CV. I had like a lot of airline miles. So, <laughs> you know, just navigating that, you know, I was traveling a lot of weekends every other weekend. And in a way It was fine because I think it made me more productive during the week. And also, I didn't have a lot of other obligations. So I don't think it necessarily slowed me down, but it was a very different way of working to be like, oh, two weekends out of the month, I'll either have a visitor or I'll be flying somewhere. Um, I'm not sure what the long-term effects were. Luckily, I was Mm -hmm. in a place where I already knew people. So it wasn't as hard as moving to a new place and trying to establish friendships at the same time that you're traveling back and forth to see a partner. But I imagine that that's really hard for some people who are trying to establish relationships professionally and personally while also having a big part of their personal life in a different area.
1: That reminds me of when I was um, living in Boulder. I was terribly depressed. Oh, my God. I was so depressed. I had like it was so hard to move from college where I had my friends and like my community to a place where I knew no nobody mm-hmm. um and call your girlfriend had an episode about how
0: to make friends yeah. and I was like oh
1: I wish I had had that back then
0: <laughs> I love when people have episodes about making friends I heard one on this parenting mm. podcast I listened to um mom and dad are fighting, and they talked about when you're a parent moving to a new place, how do you make friends? Oh. And they had somebody on who was a military spouse. I think her husband was in the military. So they move mm. a lot. And she really talked about it. She's like, I am strategic about it. I'm moving from place to place all the time, sometimes domestically in the U.S., sometimes overseas. And so I, I just have to go up to people and start talking to them. <laughs> Most of the time mm-hmm. it works. And she's like, you know, you have to move to a new place and write down an emergency contact on your kids' yeah. like school floor and you don't know anybody she's like i would just yeah. go up to somebody else in the line going to school and be like will you be my kids emergency <sighs> contact like <laughs> oh i didn't ever even think about that yeah. wow so anyway i'm a big and fan that, of that is you know and, and
1: for somebody who and i've gotten better at doing that but like i'm an introvert it is really it takes a lot of emotional energy for me to initiate yeah a friendship yeah so yeah it's a lot of work exactly. can we talk about um just even briefly about the economic stuff yeah. because i feel like that is something that <laughs> belongs on a shadow cv
0: yeah you know i love personal finance and i also started i graduated in 2008 for my phd program and we were sliding into the financial crisis and mm-hmm. a lot of job listings were put on hold and so i think For some people, implicit in their CV is, oh, I graduated at a really bad time and it was really Mm -hmm. hard to get a job in this particular year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always competitive, but I think sometimes you just have bad luck about when you leave and that can totally shape your career in a way that you might not make explicit, but which is underlying a lot of what happens in your career. And I think it also moves into the personal realm, because let's say you were in grad school and or you had your job and you bought a house and now you want to move to take a different job. But your house is underwater and Mm -hmm. it's devastating. And I think there are so many people who had tremendous financial challenges because of when they graduated or an economic crisis or not being able to sell a house or an illness. Medical debt is such a huge thing Mm -hmm. for people. So I think that kind of stuff, again, is not going to be on the CV, but can so shape people's lives. On the plus side, there's things like, oh, I paid off my student loans. You know, I remember <laughs> when that happened for me. And that's really exciting, too. And it's not something you'd put on your CV, but could be a big marker that feels good, but also opens up a lot of opportunity in your life and in your ability to take professional risks and career risks. Um yeah, so I think debt is a huge thing for people. Um, yes. yeah. So
1: this is actually something that um oh, if Ben is listening, he'll be so proud. <laughs> I actually do try to talk to my students about not like probing about, you know, do you have debt or whatever, <laughs> but you know, I do try to I had never heard about the loan repayment program uh-huh. um which is a grant that you yes. can apply for um and that you can put on Yes, your you CV. can put that on your TV but um i do think that there's something to be said for you know we've talked about this on previous episodes the kind of shift from the the starving student life mm-hmm. to kind of having some money and um navigating that um transition and everything that underlies that is a lot of labor yeah. that it's it's a huge process, and also and it it's hard for lot. people who
0: move from the starving starving student life to the starving adjunct life, and that could also <laughs> mm-hmm. be in the background of like,, oh, I feel like I'm just treading water financially and it's hard,
1: yeah. I had a dream um last night that I went below seventy five percent funding and mm. lost my health insurance. oh that's awful, <sighs> yeah. That was bad. That was not a dream. That was a nightmare. Uh, that was bad. Yeah. So clearly I'm carrying some stress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's tough. So, um, so this, I think this is a good kind of place to pivot to the practical. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that I think there might be something, there might be a seed of something in terms of like. <sighs> uh, around the economic kind of things like telling stu- or helping students navigate that like it what could what could be moved
0: from the shadow CV into light you know it, it does make peaceful. me think so Sarah I'm in my closet right now because I record in my closet and so <laughs> something I have right here is this kind of vision board and I don't think oh. you can see it Louis does not let me hang them up this
1: is so
0: witty. <laughs> It's, like, really old. It's from, like, when I was in grad school, I think.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wait, what's... I want to see... There are people, like... uh, This is so beautiful. It's
0: a poster board, like, a uh, green poster board where I have, like, all these magazine clips. What's the one on the far
1: right with the man and the woman, like, gazing
0: away? They're, like, you know, it's a picture from some magazine, and there's, like, a a man and a woman on a bed talking, and I think this was before I, like was coupled and I'm like, you know, I want a relationship and you know, I have somebody like with running shoes. I have one about travel down here in the corner. I have this, Felicia Rashad quote and have somebody at a beach. I'm not gonna go into it since nobody can see it. Okay, wait, wait, did you say that Louis doesn't like it? It's he's like, eh. He doesn't he likes grotesque comic book art for decoration. He does not <laughs> want me to good... hang my like vision board. Uh,
1: is it like not aesthetically, not pleasing, aesthetically pleasing enough to him. to him? Okay. Yes.
0: Okay. He does not Oh Louie. We have so much it. in yes. common. So it's like in my closet. But <laughs> it did make me think, like, it could be an art project for all of our listeners to like write some of this stuff out maybe even make it visual and I know it sounds touchy-feely but often doing these processes I feel like there is something cathartic about it and Mm -hmm. I think also often just reflecting on where you've been and what was going on can give you a lot of compassion for yourself because I think we are so hard on ourselves and we do feel Mm -hmm. like failures sometimes and we don't fully celebrate the things we have achieved or how far we've come and I don't know, maybe if people do make some um, little shadow CV vision boards, we would love to see them. I
1: like that idea. This is like a much less romantic idea, (laughs) but I kind of like the idea of... um, like, you're gonna groan terribly, but like a Google cheat, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the inspiration from this idea is even more, um, like depressing, but um, oh my gosh, what's her name? The professor is in Lady, where it was like she started a Google Karen Doc. Kelsky? with like, yes, Karen Kelsky about, um, harassment Uh and abuse sexual harassment and abuse um where people could go in and anonymously add whatever but we could do something like analogous but for a shadow cv to and it could be cathartic just on an individual level Mm -hmm. but also it could be cathartic to see other peoples and be like oh this is a thing that other people experience too i think that's powerful
0: okay are you volunteering
1: um, I mean, <laughs> I could transfer what I've written on our, like, outline. I, I, I'd i be happy to start it. Actually, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm even totally doing one it. One thing
0: for the listeners to know is even on our outline, like, we write notes to each other, and some things were like... I don't necessarily want to share this on the podcast because there still are kind of sometimes boundaries about something that is somewhat private or involves somebody else or implicates other people professionally Mm -hmm. or personally. So we'd have to redact some of the document before we post it. 100%. Yeah. There
1: there are things that I wrote on here where I was like I'm not sure if I'm going to say this out loud. Um but yeah, obviously you want to protect other people and you want to avoid, you know, saying something that you might regret disclosing previously. Mm. I think that is important, but I also think it's important to um demystify some of this stuff because I think it helps it helps things be less alienating yeah. and feel so individual and therefore intractable. I
0: do want to make sure we emphasize also kind of there's a lot of positive things that would go in the shadow CV. Like, oh, yes, I my, one of my professional meetings, there's been a lot more like representation of black scholars lately. And it's been so exciting to see and people are so excited about it. And they're thinking about ways that we can leverage this into like building more like presence and visibility for our work. And I'm so excited about some upcoming symposia, um, kind of on a good and the bad side. There was this analysis of NIH funding for black scholars. That was a beautiful piece of scholarship that was like at the same time depressing, but also confirming that, oh, yeah, a lot of the things I want to do are just not funded. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't know. There's a lot of things in the background, but sometimes also the joy of discovery. There are moments when I have felt like, Mm -hmm. ah, I got this. I understand this concept. And so that Mm -hmm. should go on the shadow CV, too. Those moments of just joy and insight and really feeling like you made a difference in a student's life.
1: Yes, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, I'm glad that you brought this up because I do have the tendency to to kind of think in the negative. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I would one of the things I would put on my shadow CV is going to therapy yeah. and like getting on meds and, um, you know, the huge strides I've made in building relationships with my children mm-hmm. that I feel like are really, really healthy in a way that I never anticipated I could, and like having a really wonderful, loving marriage and rich, deep, like yeah. so many yeah. or the new mentor
0: who came in or the new department chair who came mm-hmm. in who really re-energized a whole area of work or a unit. And so that yes. there are those moments in my Shadow CV to people who have really um invigorated my intellectual and professional life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I
1: think it's important to reflect on you know, both with these positive things and these negative things, if you kind of want to be dichotomous about it, um, there is the kind of alternate reality. Mm -hmm. It is, as you've suggested earlier, there is a trade-off, right? Like saying or hearing no is a yes for something else. Um, That is always the case. And I I often think about it this in terms of the negative, (laughs) like all of that time I spent on the grant, I could have spent you know, with my family or whatever. But I think the the, the um the opposite is true as well. Mm-hmm. Um kind of thinking about
0: um you know maybe if I, this project I'll, I'll, had taken off I would have never gotten to this other project. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I like it. So I feel like we've have the takeaway of people can make a vision board and kind of an art project <laughs> or, a Google, or sheet. A Google Sheet, <laughs> whatever <laughs> your bag happens to yes. be. Oh, and if you do make a shadow CV and you want to email it to us, we would love to see it, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll make some social media yeah. posts too. Yes,
1: yeah. I yeah. Oh my gosh, I I'm actually super excited for the social media that's gonna. um Come out about this, but I, I also want to reflect on this idea that you know the the vision board and the um, the even the Google sheet is probably good for like you know your peers mm-hmm. and the, the idea that there are different audiences, yeah. right? There's like the one that you might show your students. There's mm-hmm. the one that you might want your apt committee, your appointments promotion and tenure committee to see, and there's one that you might want your mentees or your mentors to see. Yep.
0: Um, I like that kind of idea. Okay. I like it. I can't wait to see everybody's documents. Sarah, it's been a pleasure. (sighs)
1: Yes, this was uh, cathartic (laughs) as usual.
0: Thanks, Wendy. I'll see you later. Bye. Okay. Bye. Academes was produced by Sarah Birkin, Mara Bookbinder, and me, Whitney Robinson. Our editors include Jeremiah Murphy and Molly Horrock. We get administrative support from Val Hooker and Molly Horrock. Our artwork is by Melissa Hudgens at Leafy Greens Design. We've received funding from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Carolina Women's Center and the Wisdom Initiative.